0: Welcome to Liftoff, from your friends at Relay FM.
1: Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined, as always, by my
0: co-host, Mr. Jason Snell. Hello, Stephen. How are you? I am good, Jason. How are you? Good. So much happening in space, and we're back. Uh, apologies to those who, who just are staring, hitting refresh on their podcast player. Waiting for Lyft not to come up every two weeks. Apologies that we're a couple of days late. We can't always record on and release on Tuesdays. And in fact, I'm just going to say it right here: our next episode will also be a little late. It will be releasing uh, two weeks from uh, Friday, the 16th. Yes, of July. So don't just keep hitting refresh on those Tuesdays. I'm sorry, but we won't. We won't be there. Yeah. It's a summer. Summer. Summer of space. Summer of space. Sure. Summer of space. Why not? Nobody's doing that, right? In podcasts? I don't think so. Summer events? No. Uh, we've got we got a, lot of, a lot to get through, uh, including a very long pre-flight checklist. We had so many things, in fact, friends, that... Uh, I got a note from Steven earlier today that was like, I'm, I'm kicking this one out to our Tumblr. Yeah. Uh, which is liftoffpodcast.space, by the way. You can see links that we drop over there. Uh, but we had so much, it didn't all fit. So, so there's a story about how the SpaceX's neighbors are angry at it that's uh, on the Tumblr. So enjoy. That's right. And they're going to uh, maybe do a Starship orbital launch. it's true they might they're they're talking about it they want to so uh you know we'll check back in with spacex but we got lots of other things going on why don't i um why don't i kick our prefect preflight checklist into gear
1: yes tell me about space laundry
0: kick them when they're up kick them when they're down no that's a sorry that's a song dirty laundry is a, a don henley song from the early 80s anyway dirty laundry in space dirty laundry in space also shameless brand marketing in space uh, but also science, and that's why I thought it was worth talking about it. So a laundry detergent, uh, it's Tide. Uh, Tide makes me itchy. Does it make you itchy? I use all free. <laughs> I use, I use, let's talk about laundry detergent here on our space podcast, because that's what this seg- segment is about. Please. I use the the odorless, <laughs> a- hypoallergenic laundry detergent same um and and i was staying with my mom in phoenix and she had smelly detergent and i used the smelly detergent and i was like i feel like when once i got the clothes out of the dryer i i uh i felt like i needed to put them back in the washing machine because <laughs> they're all like smelling like i don't know what tied i guess it makes me break out like if yeah. we travel and like
1: you know the airbnb host uses tide then uh i usually have to like run things back through the
0: washing machine yeah wash the sheets and stuff because I yeah get, wow I get very
1: itchy and it's
0: weird that's why they make the the hypoallergenic uh detergent is for this reason anyway so now that we've run tide down and said tide it makes Stephen itchy let me tell you what tide's doing with nasa um this is a great story. I know that it's shameless marketing, uh, but it, it actually led to some really interesting places. So Tide has a deal with NASA. They're going to build a clothes cleaning system for space. All right. And you're, you're saying to yourself, do they not already have this ability? And the answer is no, they don't. Currently, astronauts like put on their clothes, then they take them off, but then they wear them again, and then they take them off, and, then they wear- and after they've worn them a few times and they're really dirty and smelly and stained... Because there's stuff flying all around in zero g, right? So you got to get lots of stains, right? The things just like blobs are flying at you. Uh, once they're done uh, and they're too dirty, they put them, they bag them up, and presumably they go back on a on one of these cargo returns to Earth. I don't think they eject them to burn up in Earth's atmosphere, but but it, 160 pounds of clothing per crew member per year sent to the International Space Station. Wow. And that's a lot. And that costs a lot of money because every pound costs. Yeah. And so, yeah, clothes in space are disposable people. (laughs) Gross. (laughs) And so uh, this will obviously be a bigger problem on deep space missions because when you're going to Mars or even hanging out on the moon, it's even more trouble or impossible to uh, carry that many sets of shirts with you. Um Obviously, there are some other issues here. Water is limited in space. All of it gets purified back into drinking water. There's a, it's a closed system, a closed loop. So this Tide project, they have apparently formulated a new detergent that degrades to the point that it can be used in the closed loop system. And the washing water will be able to be purified back into good drinking water while also having that detergent get bad smells and stains and stuff out of clothes so they're going to experiment with that it the article i read didn't say sort of like how they're going to do this i imagine it's going to be something where there's like a bag that you put it in and and kind of squish squish the clothes around yeah like because they, 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 there's not hardware they said they're actually investigating the possibility of building a washer dryer combo kind of system for clothes but but the story says that would be for Martian or lunar gravity. Like their feeling is that in zero G, it's probably not the, having a washing machine in zero G is probably a bad idea, but that they could do it on the moon or Mars. Uh, but so I don't know the details of how they're going to do this on the ISS, but um, the idea there is that they will, uh, they'll try this with some astronaut clothes. Uh, they're also going to try some off the shelf tide stuff and do some experiments to see if, like things like wipes and pens that are not full on, um, d- you know, washing machine detergent, can help lengthen the life of astronaut clothes. So obviously, it's a publicity stunt by Tide, but at the same time, as we as we learned actually during uh, the early space missions, sometimes companies. To try this stuff out, learn some lessons that they can then apply back to their products, either practically or because they can say, whoa, we tested it in space and it's good marketing. Uh, Who knows what the the truth is here? But like the fact is, this is actually an issue because 160 pounds of clothing per crew member per year is that has a real cost. Uh, Plus, I I think there's also the cost to the astronauts of the fact that they all stink. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hear it to clean that laundry in space. Although, think about it. You you work really hard, you become an astronaut, you get to go to the International Space Station, and then you got to do laundry. Ugh,
1: the worst. Uh, Skyler in the Relay Members Discord found, it's it's one of those NASA pages, like, it's for historical purposes. Uh So I don't know when it was written, but it talks about laundry at the International Space Station. And the picture of the space station is very small. Uh, So it's an older article, but talking about how, yeah, kind of what your options are. And
0: clearly it's a problem for a long time now. So, they, yeah, sometimes they apparently shuttle it back to Earth. Sometimes they just eject it. There are these, like, garbage missions that come back to Earth, but there are also the garbage missions that don't. So uh, who knows where it goes. Uh, although this page also says sometimes they could use it to as as sort of soil to grow plants. Gross! Uh, yeah, anyway, that's uh, my dirty laundry update, Stephen. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm glad we were able to clean that up.
1: Mm. I want to talk about Starliner. Our okay. friend... Boeing hey, Starliner.
0: remember Starliner?
1: What's happening with that? Every time we talk about Starliner, I forget, and then I'm shocked that its first demo flight was in December 2019. <laughs> it was that long ago. But if you remember, that didn't go very well. They had a lot of uh, a lot of software issues with the Starliner itself. It wasn't able to get where it needed to go. Uh, NASA and Boeing have been working since then to correct those issues. And it looks like they're getting very close. Uh, So the Starliner's second uncrewed demo flight uh, has been fueled, so the capsule's all ready. It's expected to launch July 30th, so just a few weeks away. It'll be mated to its Atlas V rocket before that launch. Uh, It will have a week-long mission to the International Space Station. And the goal here is to do all of this correctly without those issues that came up in the first demo flight. And if they're able to meet all those goals, then they'll be able to move forward one step closer to crewed flight. But Boeing is finally getting back up on the horse with commercial crew. Good at last, at long last. I do wonder if this had not been a pandemic year, if this would have happened sooner. I would have to imagine that slowed some of that collaboration down. But I'm glad they've gotten it over the finish line, and NASA says they're uh, they're very happy with the progress that has been made there. So I'm uh, I'm I'm expecting this to be a a smooth
0: flight for, for the Starliner this time. Yeah, I hope so. I sure hope so. It's been a long time coming, but I hope they finally made it work.
1: Yeah, and, and it'll bring commercial crew up to its goal of having two providers. Rena, right. right now, it's just been
0: SpaceX. It's just gonna be an embarrassment of riches, but that's uh, that's okay, it's good. That's what we want. That way, if there's a problem with either one, you got the other one, which is sort of where, we, where we've where we been up to now. So, yeah, that's good. I, let me give you a another space provider update. It's, uh, it's Virgin Orbit, which oh. we don't talk a lot about, but this is the system where a 747 flies out into the ocean and then launches a rocket into space by dropping it off of its wing. Uh, interesting. It is. So they just had their second successful launch. Uh, they put seven CubeSats into orbit. They have a 747 with the name Cosmic Girl. And it took off from uh, the spaceport in Mojave, California, flew out to the Pacific coast, uh, dropped the launcher one. It fired off the first stage, oriented itself for space, uh, headed out, You know, dropped the first stage, went to the second stage, got to orbit, launched the satellites. Great. So that's two successful launches for Virgin Orbit. The question is sort of now what? Because space launch has become a very competitive business. Um, Also, Virgin Orbit has invested like a billion dollars to get to this point of having a a small launcher. Uh, And as a comparison, like Electron has reached this point with about a hundred million. So, and and SpaceX spent about a hundred million to get uh, Falcon one up and running, which is a comparable kind of rocket to this. So uh, they put in a lot of money. Um, However, there is an interesting twist here, which is because it's the airplane based thing, they can launch from anywhere in the world. So they can take the plane anywhere and they they can take their ground support equipment anywhere. Uh, They're already planning a launch from Guam, a launch from England. And apparently they are talking to other countries as well, whether that's enough to make this a viable business model. Who knows? Things are changing so fast in the space launch game. I guess we'll see. But this uh, is, uh, you know, an interesting kind of uh, it's a victory for Virgin Orbit because they've really made these two launches now. And it it really says that they've got a viable launcher Mm -hmm. and it doesn't look like. Uh, the launches from the ground. The idea here, by the way, is just why do you fly it up on a plane? Is like, well, the higher you fly the plane, the thinner, the, not only is it shorter to get to space, but it's thinner the air. So you, the uh, the uh, uh, amount of fuel that you need to get into orbit is less. And and so it can be more economical that way. So we'll see what happens with Virgin Orbit, but they are they are kind of up and running now with their launch program.
1: Yeah, so you could have whatever your cargo is staged around the world in a way that right now you've got to haul it to, florida or across the ocean or you know right
0: that's the trade-off right Is like what's the cost of taking the plane and the and their ground equipment to you in england versus taking your satellite that you built in england and sending it to florida or to uh guiana for it to be launched right um and then presumably you could also do polar orbits where you went up to you know up toward the you know, some, some airport toward the North pole and, and launched them from there. Like there are lots of, uh, that's their, that's their thing. That's their value proposition really is we can launch from anywhere. Very cool.
1: Uh, I was excited to see this happen. It's been a long time coming for them.
0: Yeah. And it's just, a, it's a very different kind of uh kind of launch.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's like, Oh, it's a
0: plane. Oh, there's a rocket strapped to the bottom of it. <laughs> tucked up under the wing. Yeah, and then there's a, there's actually a shot uh, as it's launching where you can see the airplane kind of like in the background, kind of headed off, uh, and as it as it goes up into space, pretty great.
1: Uh, I want to talk about Blue Origin for a second. We know that their first crewed flight is coming up. It's scheduled for July twentieth. It's Jeff Bezos and his brother, and there were two other seats. One has gone to an unnamed highest bidder. Remember they had that auction. Uh, but the fourth seat was named today, and I, I was so excited to see this. So uh, Wally Funk is an 82-year-old uh, woman. She was part of the uh, Mercury 13 group, which was a group of women who underwent the same testing as the original Mercury 7 astronauts, which, of course, were all all men. Uh, but these women didn't get a chance to fly in those early days of NASA. In fact, it would be a couple of decades uh, before a, a woman astronaut from NASA would fly. But Wally Funk had had a unbelievable flying career. Uh, there's a quote in this article flying uh, almost 20,000 hours and saying basically if there's a license for it, I have I have that license and can fly it. And she has been named uh, to that fourth seat for Blue Origin's first crewed flight. So she wasn't able to to be part of the Mercury program but is going to have some time in zero G, uh, thanks to blue origin. And I just, I think it's really awesome.
0: Yeah. I think this also shows Jeff Bezos awareness of space history, you know, the importance of symbolism (laughs) in something like this to give her the ability to, to go into space. Uh, it's pretty great. Like he doesn't have to do this, but this is a really nice, uh, symbolic gesture, I would say.
1: Yeah, and reading uh, interviews with her, she is she's excited about it. She, I, I don't think she she doesn't seem stressed about it. I mean, someone like this is right. not stressed about flying on a new vehicle, <laughs> right? This right. is what they do. Uh, so yeah, it, it is really cool. And yeah, Bezos uh, announced it on uh, on Instagram, and we still don't know the the unnamed buyer that auctioned up being twenty eight million dollars. Got a little rich for us here on the liftoff yeah. podcast. Alas, I know we just well, missed it. You know, they don't use tied on Blue Origin because you just go up and go down. So I could have done it. Mm. So yeah, tied it to the previous story. You tied it. Ah.
0: <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> okay, tell me about hungry black holes. Mmm. They're they're more exciting than hungry hungry hippos. They are bigger. So, this is a gravitational wave astronomy update, and the whole life of liftoff we've been talking about that LIGO and Virgo, the gravitational wave observatories, have ushered in this brand new era of astronomy where you use gravitational waves, the disturbances in space time, to detect gravitational events in the universe. And they have spotted a whole bunch of interesting things, even in these early days, black holes merging, neutron stars merging, but they recently spotted something that they've never seen before and it happened twice. It's the combo platter. Uh, It's a black hole and a neutron star merging, which, you know, they've been talking about this for a long time, but the whole point here is that we've never seen it. We've never had evidence of it actually happening and now they spotted it the first one they spotted is a black hole with about nine times the math of the sun mass of the sun nine solar masses and a, a neutron star with about one and a half solar masses uh and then 10 days later they saw another pair of the same black hole plus neutron star in a different part of the universe a little bit lighter less mass than the uh, the first pair but pretty close um so again Confirming things that have been long theorized, but nothing that we actually had seen before. And the value of this is, one, it informs us about what kind of binary star systems might exist all around the universe. It raises questions about why we haven't seen any of these mergers in our own galaxy. And the more of these we see, the more we can generalize about these events and when they occur. So having seen two of them is great. It'll be even better when we see 10 and 20 and 50 and 100 because it gets us a much better idea of the population of these objects and uh, how these events how frequently these events happen and what their masses are and all of those things. So it's a great first step. It's always good for science when you see something that has been predicted for a long time, but you've never actually had evidence for it happening. And LIGO and Virgo have really paid off in terms of providing the receipts for this stuff.
1: 100%. I remember when we first talked about it, it was still...
0: It was before the time that some of those results had come out. And we're talking about like what it... Yeah, it was a wild, wild idea. What if we dig some tunnels with some beams and we think, see, wait and see if the universe wiggles? It's like, really? And it totally works. <laughs> yeah. Turns out it wiggles more than we thought. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: All right. So we got a, a couple of uh, topics today, but do you want to tell people about our, our friends over at Clockwise.
0: Yeah, just a really quick break to tell you about another show here at Real FM. It's Clockwise. Dan Warren and I uh, invented this show. I left a few years ago, but it is still powering on. And I really love the format of it. So it's Dan Warren and Micah Sargent. They bring two guests every week. And uh, they cover four technology topics in 30 minutes. It's a really nice, short, fast-paced podcast where you get some quick hits about four topics of interest in the technology world from a diverse pool of tech professionals. Uh, Again, two new guests every week. So check it out. It's fun. It's not going to take two hours of your your time every week to listen to. It is always 30 minutes or less. Uh, Go to relay.fm slash clockwise or just search for clockwise wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, yeah, tell them I sent you. Uh, you they won't hear you because you'll be talking into your podcast app and it doesn't work that way. But <laughs> tell them I sent you anyway. <laughs> All
1: right. So we've been talking a lot about the Chinese space program over the last several months with their new rover on Mars and their new space
0: station. What's going on? Um, lots. Lots going on. So the first there's the Zhurong uh, rover on the surface of the of uh, Mars. It sent back some amazing video. It did. We we got the public posting of the video downloads from Zhurong uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, just like Perseverance, there's some video of entry, descent, and landing, which is very impressive. It's always interesting to see a spaceship uh, come into <laughs> into an atmosphere and land on a planet, especially an alien planet. Um, there's also some sound from a microphone on the descent and some sound of the microphone as it, as it kind of rolls off its platform that it landed on. And in what I think is a very clever development, and I'm sure there are some good reasons for it, including being able to kind of observe what's happening on the, the wheels of the rover, but it's also a lot of good pictures come out of it. They dropped a remote camera when, uh, Zhurong was close to the landing platform and then it kind of moved back. So that could get in like a a, a selfie mm-hmm. uh, sort of, or I guess it really is the the video is kind of a a third party now, so it's not really a selfie anymore. The video camera is taking a picture of the lander and the rover together. Um, and there's also some really great close-up video as the as the treads roll along on the lander, and I think that's really nice from a um, engineering perspective that they get to look at that and see like how the how the treads fare on Martian soil and what mm-hmm. that looks like. So it's it's pretty great though to get we we see a lot of selfies on Mars, um, but this is by dropping this little remote camera. They they get to do some uh, angles that we haven't seen. Uh, so much because it's from a third party kind of radioing back the picture. It's like a webcam, basically.
1: Yeah, there's one shot in here where the rover is turning all of its wheels, and so all of them face the camera. So I'd imagine it's checking on the wheels, but also just making sure that all the movement is, you know, everything is working as expected. Uh, And as a bonus, you get this really cool footage that you can share with the world of, like, look at our thing on Mars. I mean, that shot of it driving over the camera and driving away is really really inspiring right uh,
0: i i saw that and thought well that's enough reason to drop that camera there yeah.
1: just just that shot let alone the information they're going to get there's, back there's
0: there's somebody at jpl who said see i told you we should have put a, <laughs> oh yeah a drop droppable camera on that's right <laughs> like yeah right drop the gopro fine, right, right, right on the surface of mars yeah seriously so um other, other news, three Chinese astronauts have docked with the Tianhe Space Station. They are the first visitors to the China's uh, space station module. They're going to be there for three months. It's going to be talking about doing laundry in space. They got to do testing and setup. They, they got to unpack all the flat pack furniture. And, you know, I think there's some solar panels to deploy and like there's a lot of work that they have to do for three months, getting this thing kind of up to speed because they're the first guests at the space station. There are going to be eight more launches required to build out the whole thing. Uh, China says that they should be able to do it by the end of 2022. That's pretty fast. Um, and uh, and quite a contrast to how long it took to assemble the ISS, which I'll grant you is a more ambitious thing, but still, uh, building a whole space station in a couple years, um, not bad. Uh, It actually made me wonder what it would cost to build the ISS now or a new version of the ISS now. I assume that launches are way cheaper, especially if you're not uh, building it all around the shuttle program. Right. But you also don't have a space shuttle to kind of build it by being there with its own um, robotic arm and stuff. You would need to instead kind of let the modules get up there and then like the Chinese are doing, attach... Uh, the astronauts and have them do some spacewalks and sort of like, I think it might be more of a construction challenge, but I wonder about that. Like, t- would it be, uh, you know, would it be faster and cheaper to build something like ISS mm-hmm. or rebuild ISS today versus the way that it was originally conceived given what is available to launch and what the costs of launches are yeah. Um, Or, or today. today or in the future where you have right.
1: things like the you know later blocks of the sls and you have
0: starship and because right. one and thing Ga- the shuttle- and gateway is a, a space station that's going to be built in cislunar space so right. that is an example of this but it's just if if iss iss isn't going to last like even if people want it to last it it's it's been up there a very long time and it's going to start uh being beyond its usable life. And the question is, what happens next? And if there is a low Earth orbit uh, space station that that happens next, what is that going to cost? And I would imagine that we could do it way more efficiently than the ISS. Yeah.
1: Uh, One thing the shuttle did provide
0: is crew housing
1: during all Mm of that. Or in stages, you know, early stages, if the ISS wasn't big enough, you could stay in the shuttle and then use the shuttle itself as a construction implement. But with Gateway and others, you know, I mean, there's even, I mean, in all the different versions of Artemis, there was even discussion of, well, maybe there'll be two launches and Orion with crew will be on the SLS and Falcon Heavy or Starship will carry components, right? I mean, you have more flexibility now, but it may be across different vehicles. That's a really interesting thing to think about.
0: And then I had another side thought, which again, not really related to the Chinese uh, space station as much as just a... A side thought, Um, I wonder, when we talk about the shuttle being decommissioned and all that, I wonder if there should be a program, and I wonder if NASA has gone back and forth on this or not, or whether they've just dismissed it or or whether there's a commercial opportunity here, but if we don't have a, a vehicle like the shuttle and we want to do something that used to require the shuttle... What capability have we lost, and should we be putting some investment in getting that capability back? And I think about mm-hmm. something like building things in space and repairing things in space. Uh, like, could should there be a, you know, like commercial crew and commercial cargo, should there be like a commercial EVA module, a commercial... Uh, you know, repair truck kind of thing because like we talk about uh, Hubble Space Telescope and you're going to talk in a little bit about the trouble that's going on with the Hubble. Like there was that last Hubble servicing mission and Hubble's pretty old again. It may be that that no amount of servicing is going to keep it running but it may be that it could run for another decade or two if it was serviced. They did the last Hubble servicing mission with the shuttle and it was very much like this is it because the shuttle's being decommissioned and we have no other way to service the Hubble and I think, well, okay. What, what about that though? Could we not make an effort so that we have a way for astronauts, if not robots, if we can't do robot repair, which would be another way to go, can we have astronauts, uh, and send them to Hubble or send them to James Webb, which I know is going to be way out there, but like, it feels to me like, uh, There should be more discussion of that, which is without a space shuttle, how do we let people fix stuff in space? And have we lost capability that we're going to regret? Because you can't, it can't all be robotically repaired, especially the further away from Earth you get, because the lag becomes too great, the radio lag. Um, or is there a combination where you send people out, but they've got access to robotic tools, so they're st- sort of staying inside and steering it? Uh, I don't know. It's just another thought I had because I, I I find it I still find it a little uncomfortable that Hubble can never be repaired again, and the James Webb Space Telescope cannot be repaired if something happens to it because we don't seem to have the ability to send astronauts to a, an orbiting place and have them get out and fix things right there because that was sort of a that was the space shuttle's job. Anyway, one more thing about Chinese space program before we get to Hubble, which is um, there was a press conference with the, the secretary general of the China National Space Administration. Uh, and, you know, China doesn't talk about this stuff that often, but they listed a bunch of future objectives. And I thought I'd throw them into this segment. Uh, they're planning three new Chang'e missions to the moon, including a sample return and a South Pole mission. Uh, they're, they're working on a near-Earth asteroid sample return mission. They're working on a Mars sample return, so it's not just sort of the U.S. and its partners, but China is also working on a Mars sample return mission. They're talking about the end of the decade for that one. And they're talking about doing a Jupiter probe, uh, which would, it sounds like, launch around 2030. And among the proposals for that mission includes a lander that would land on the, the Jovian moon Callisto. So they've got a lot of ambition in their, uh, in their space program, and that's sort of what is public right now
1: yeah a lot of ambition and and so far they're yeah we've talked about the issues with the chinese space agency a lot not to re- recap all of those but in terms of mission objectives they seem very capable in terms of of what they want and can do
0: yeah and there's a lot of geopolitics involved here um the role of russia who has said that they're working with china on a bunch of things but they're still working with the us on the iss and What's really going on with the Russian space program, which is not very well funded, um, although they are launching uh, a, uh, a an ISS module, of all things, that they've been working on for a very long time that will be their science module, a Russian-owned science module. Um, but like, what their role is uh, and what the competition is and the fact that there is a law that prevents NASA working with the Chinese government on space um, is interesting and was uh, and Bill Nelson, the administrator of NASA, said that he supported the law, which was kind of interesting. It was not like we'll follow the law, which was I think what I've heard from other previous people at NASA but but more than that sort of I support the law, which is uh, interesting. So I don't know it's something to keep watching. Chinese ambitions in space are great and growing. Um, let's talk about Hubble. since I mentioned Hubble, I've teased Hubble for a while. Um, there's there's Hubble. But is it in trouble?
1: There, there is Hubble trouble. Oh, no. So this started uh, actually a couple of weeks ago. Uh, back on June 13th, the payload computer on the Hubble Space Telescope halted operation. And then the next day, the team went to go restart it, and it failed to restart properly. Uh, this means that the Space Telescope is in safe mode. So this payload computer is it is a NASA standard spacecraft computer in SSC1. It's built back in the 80s. And as you would imagine, everything is fully redundant on this. There's a fully redundant second computer with all of its associated hardware. So if something happens on orbit, it can be switched over to that backup computer. Uh, what's going on here is it seems like one of the computer's memory modules uh, may be the issue. Basically, bad RAM. In that scenario, what the team would do is stay on the primary computer and move to one of the backup memory modules. And so there are two computers, primary and backup, and there are four memory modules. So each computer has a primary and backup memory module. So this, at this point on the 13th and the days after that, didn't look like it was, it was going to need a full boot up of the second computer. Just switch over to the different memory module and uh, you would be good to go. Uh, what this computer does is basically take the data coming off of the instruments and translates it uh, where it can be sent back to Earth. It also is responsible for uh, receiving instructions from Earth. So it's the communication link. basically, it's the brain of the of the space telescope. Unfortunately, switching to that backup memory module didn't fix the issue. Uh, that was attempted on the 16th, but that actually failed to complete. Uh, and it seems like there may be something more central going on. It would be unlikely that both the primary and backup memory module would would have failed. Uh, at, you know effectively hit the at the same time mm. and so on the around the 23rd or so so about a week ago the team went to go turn on the backup computer actually for the first time ever in space Hubble has has since its launch run on that first payload computer but that the backup computer showed the same. Issues display the same issues, where it could not talk, read, or write from its own two memory modules. And so that gives the team reason to look at other components. Having all of these fail in the same way would be highly, highly unusual. And so looking at things like uh, the power supply, into the computers, looking at the uh, command unit science data formatter, which is a component of the space telescope that sits basically in between the instruments and the computer. And if that thing is freaking out or causing errors or giving bad data to the computers, maybe they're in some sort of state that they can't do what they're supposed to do. So this is ongoing as of this recording. Hopefully, whatever it is can be found and addressed from the ground. There's a lot of redundancy built into these systems, but definitely, I think a good reminder that the Hubble is not new.
0: It's got some uh, some real real age on it. I, I was really concerned about this, but I saw a tweet from John Grunsfeld, who is a former astronaut and was the lead for science at NASA as an associate administrator. And his tweet is, the team working on Hubble Recovery are masters of engineering and very cautious. I'm optimistic that they will succeed. So I I took that as, you know, the idea here is they're trying to figure this stuff out. Like they're, they're, they're not going to, they know how fragile this is because, you know, you can't send somebody up there to plug it in and unplug it and plug it back in and press the restart button and all of that. So they're just taking it, taking it slow, but it is scary to think that this could be the end, but hopefully, hopefully not, especially since we can't fix it. Right. Like I said earlier, but it is going to fail at some point, but I think everybody's hoping that we'll get a lot more time out of Hubble.
1: Yeah, hopefully so. So I know that those teams are, are working hard to get to get this resolved. So hopefully we can come back with good news next episode.
0: I hope so. That's, it's been since 2009 that that the Hubble was last serviced. So that's how long um, they, they replaced a whole bunch of stuff uh, to hope that it would... Actually, at the time, they hoped that it would allow for some overlap with the James Webb telescope. So... It's lasted a long time. It has. <laughs> that's not. It's not entirely Hubble's problem that it hasn't overlapped with James Webb. It's been 12 years since that servicing mission. So hopefully it'll keep on going and we'll get the James Webb up there and uh, they will be able to do a real kind of baton pass in space. They're not actually near each other, but you know what I mean, symbolically. You could call it a relay. Nah. Doesn't sound right. Hmm.
1: I think that, I think that does it, Jason. I think that's yep. it.
0: I think we've done enough damage for this one.
1: That's right. You can uh, find links to the stories we spoke about on the website at relay.fm liftoff 153. While you're there, you can uh, send us an email with feedback or follow-up. You can become a member and support Liftoff directly. We Thank you, all of you who are members of Liftoff or other Relay shows. You can find us online. Jason is on Twitter as jsnell. And you can find me there as ISMH. And until our next fortnight, Jason, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, y'all.